Hi, Sam. Thanks for joining me to talk about plantar fasciitis. I hope everything's going well with you. Yeah, thanks, Clint. Good to, good to be with you and everything's going all right with you as well, mate. It is. So we're talking about plantar fasciitis. I guess that's probably, that's probably something you see quite a lot as a podiatrist. Is that fair to say? It is. It is. Uh, gotcha. Often, often we see it, uh, often we see it a lot anyway, but especially these days, we're seeing it a, a lot more with um, the events that we've been through uh, after the pandemic. Uh, lots of people getting back to their normal lives and getting back to sport and things like that. So we're uh, particularly at the moment seeing it a lot more. So it's particularly yeah. topical. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Yeah. I was talking to um, the other guy from Health Aid, Barry, who you also know. Mm. And he was, um, you know, I think, what was he saying yesterday? He'd gone back to tennis after four weeks or something and he was just feeling terrible. But the guy who was playing had been playing like once a week or something like that. So I guess yeah. is that a reminder of the importance of um, staying active? Because uh, sometimes it's yes. the return that can be the killer. Not the, That's it. Yeah. Um, but talking about plantar fasciitis, I guess the first question is what actually is it? Well, the plantar fascia itself is it's a thick fibrous band of uh, connective, connective tissue that um, goes between your heel and, and fans out to your toes on the underside of the foot. So that's, that's what the fascia itself is. It, it's a connective tissue that doesn't particularly like to stretch either. So it's not like a muscle or a tendon that, um, you know, has that ability to elongate and then come back. So it's, um, it's specifically when we're talking about plantar fasciitis, uh, the itis suffix is a, um, is an inflammation of that, of that band of tissue then. So it's an inflammation of the plantar fascia, but that's specifically what plantar fasciitis is. Uh, often these days it's used more as an umbrella term, uh, for just pain under the, under the foot around the heel or the, uh, underside of the foot, the arch. Mm -hmm. We commonly call it the um, the underside there where the arch is, uh, but it it can be a vague or an ambiguous sort of diagnosis. Sometimes when people come in, they say, "I think I've got plantar fasciitis," but it really does encompass uh, a couple of different things that are often correlated and often co-located. So within a few millimeters, that could change the the specific diagnosis. But uh, if we think of it as pain under the heel, that's most commonly what we under the heel and the arch, sorry, that's most commonly what we refer to as plantar fasciitis these days. And is it, is it always the plantar fascia though, even though it might be something different? It's always the no, no, ah, no. Right. It doesn't doesn't always have to be the plantar fascia, but right. sometimes uh, it is part of a greater a greater um, complex of issues. So it, if if you took an image, for example, you might see that there are a number of structures involved. The plantar fascia being one of them. Mm -hmm. But people will often say, oh, it's plantar fasciitis. Gotcha. Uh, but there are a number of things that can be happening there. Um, gotcha. So that's but, but these guess... days. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say just these days people come in and they lump all of those little mm. things together as plantar fasciitis. But it could be a couple of different things in that area. So given, does that mean people need to be cautious about diagnosing it and treatment? Or is it, even though it's a number of different things, the treatment's kind of the same anyway. That's right. Yeah. The, the treatment is often the same unless, right. unless you have reason to suspect otherwise, yep. we would sort of go down a very similar pathway, a uh, very similar stepped framework gotcha. uh, of things. But, but for example, you know, people come in and will say, Oh, I've got, I've got bone spurs or I've got plantar fasciitis or I've got, you know, mm -hmm. this or that. And, and often it's, it could be one and the same thing, or it could be a number of things co-located. Like I said, could be sometimes things that are masquerading as plantar fasciitis. So there are other conditions that will mimic the symptoms of plantar fasciitis. And 
give us that that sort of same effect as a plantar fascia inflammation. But sometimes, as you as you just said, it doesn't really change the treatment outcome gotcha. or the treatment um, the treatment approach. Sorry, right. uh, and so unless we have reasoning clinically to suspect otherwise, uh, we would we could we could go along that same sort of pathway. Gotcha. So that's okay. So that's an interesting piece of information that when people say plantar fasciitis, it might be any of a number of things, but you shouldn't yes. stress too much if it's not exactly the same thing because the treatment's probably going to be the same. It's a similar pathway, and then and then obviously that will come down to a clinician, uh, the clinic clinical reasoning and clinical yeah. fact finding and through questioning and 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 tailoring that approach to the individual as to where we would swap and change out of that sort of stepped framework that we would gotcha. would use. Yeah. So, all right. So that probably makes, I guess, what I'm about to ask a little bit more convoluted, given that it mm. is possibly one of a number of things. What does actually cause it? Like, how does it start in the first place? Oh, typically, typically, it's uh, we think of plantar fasciitis as an overuse injury, and so the overuse injury uh, means that something there's a load that's overwhelmed the uh, the structure that we're talking about. In this case, plant, the plantar fascia. And when I was saying earlier that it could be a number of things, there are a number of things within plantar fasciitis itself. So, you know, we call it plantar fasciitis, but uh, as you may have heard, it can be termed plantar fasciitis, plantar fasciosis, plantar fasciopathy, things like that. You know, you can have, you know, heel spur syndrome, bone bruising, things like that, that are all very, very closely related. But without, uh, without going into too much detail of them and of each of them and getting imaging to go into it, if we just think of that as the, that pain on the underside of the heel, all in that same sort of area, the heel and the arch, then yes, we, we would typically think of it primarily as a mechanical or as a biomechanical issue, mm-hmm. uh, where in most cases it's, it's been loaded beyond its means to recover and beyond its capacity to accept that load. So um, there are certain conditions, like I said, that can masquerade as plantar fasciitis, mm-hmm. but if we eliminate those for the moment and just think of it as a as a mechanical uh, mechanical condition, it's typically a discrepancy between the amount of load that's being subjected to the plantar fascia and its then capacity or ability to handle that load. So as we were just saying before about Barry, going back to sport after you've had a period of not being active uh, or, you know, for example, we see that quite commonly after pre-season training, uh, after returning to pre-season training, uh, people have had often a sedentary period for a few weeks. They've been off their feet. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, they've gone back to activity. That would increase that load through the plantar fascia. Uh, also, things like changing jobs, for example, changing shoes, changing the surfaces we're training on, changes the intensity of our training, the frequency, the duration of our training. So all of a sudden, ramping up that load, weight mm-hmm. gain can even do that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's the uh, the two parts to that equation. There's the increasing the load, and then there's the how much can the actual tissue itself or the plantar fascia handle of that load. So we look at it in in both ways. What causes it is an overuse, but mm-hmm. overuse doesn't necessarily mean that I've done too much. It can just mean I've uh, I've decreased the capacity to handle mm-hmm. that, and that can happen with injury, that can happen with age, that can happen with being off our feet for a, a, mm-hmm. a while. So that sedentary lifestyle we're talking about as we age, we might do less. Mm-hmm. So, so when you say overuse, is that like um, just a one-off load or is it it's kind of like fatigue theory, I guess, you know, like if you, mm. if it's a lower load, but it's applied frequently, is that equivalent to applying a greater load just once? Yeah. So it can be typically we, we, 
if we think about the load being introduced gradually, as you were talking about with the fatigue theory, that would that would obviously uh, then decrease the capacity of that tissue to handle that load for subsequent loading. Subsequent right. loading would oh, okay. be a bit. So that that's where I was saying the that part of the equation where we're we're lessening the capacity of the tissue to handle the load that would come into play there. Right. So it certainly can be incremental loading over a period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we typically see, you know, that's a gradual onset. Uh, yep. And then there are, as you, as you also said, it can be a one-time application mm-hmm. of load, you know, and that would be more of a traumatic sort of an injury where mm-hmm. we would, you know, all of a sudden get a rapid onset or a sudden onset. And sometimes that can be associated with even tearing of the fascia, you know, mm-hmm. if it overwhelmed it. That, that yeah. It's the same sort of theory, Clint, as, uh, as we see in stress fractures where, you can get stress fractures but that, that occur because we're incrementally loading mm-hmm. uh, and then we gradually creep up to the threshold of where the tissue can handle it, like a, in that case, a bone, and then it would fracture mm-hmm. compared to a traumatic loading, you know, so mm-hmm. just a, a, a sporting injury where you fell and you broke a bone and all of yep. that load was applied in one go and there was a quick, gotcha. um, quick onset. Right. So some people, so somebody could be doing something right now, they feel fine but they're actually slowly and incrementally damaging or doing some, That's correct. causing some kind of injury yeah. to the plant facet, which could yeah, be and, and, fasciitis. Yeah. And that would happen in two ways. So the, the two varieties of that, of that equation, uh, one, one is that they're incrementally loading without resting enough for the, for the fascia to be able to, to handle more load. So they're mm-hmm. decreasing the, the available capacity to handle that load for the next time that they load it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other part of it is obviously that they are, they're, they're just doing too much too soon. Anyway, they're, they're overloading. Right. So essentially, long story short, you've overloaded the plantar fascia and that's mm-hmm. caused inflammation. Yes. It's, it's a yeah. fairly simple. In, in whichever way that is. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So you're yeah. saying earlier about um, using imaging to diagnose it. And we're mm. talking about how it can sometimes be different kinds of things. If yeah. you do go see a doctor or a podiatrist or something like that, and they tell you that you have plantar fasciitis, but they haven't taken you, like there's been no imaging done or anything like that. Should you be a little bit dubious? Like, should you say, no, no, I want some kind of an ultrasound or something like that to confirm that it is plantar fasciitis? Uh, that, that's an interesting one. I, I, I typically in my practice don't, don't uh, use imaging as a standalone or as a first mm-hmm. port of call, unless there's reason to suspect something more than I'm thinking through my clinical history taking or reasoning. Uh, as I was saying before, it's, it's something that responds quite well to a stepped framework or, or, a, or a framework that we, we sort of go by. And uh, if we're seeing that the patient is responding to that sort of uh, treatment program, then there's no reason to suspect otherwise. And, and we, we don't usually go down the imaging pathway. However, there are times when, like I said before, uh, you suspect conditions that might be masquerading as plantar fasciitis, mm-hmm. or you might want to clarify your diagnosis before going down a pathway. Uh, that's the only time I think we would get the, uh, the imaging. I think we can get lost a, a little bit in, especially these days with imaging being available readily mm-hmm. and, and the sensitivity of, of, uh, of the things like MRIs and, um, and ultrasounds these days will pick up many different things. So we'll sometimes... If, you, if a patient comes to me with, a, with an X-ray or an ultrasound report or, or, or the scans and they'll say, well, I've got this and this and this and this, and, and they might actually have all of those things, but clinically they might not all be relevant and they might not be, you know, that might not be the driving factor that's causing their pain mm-hmm. or causing the issue that we're seeing. So 
sometimes we can get lost in a bit of the detail there. Uh, right. And, and that's, that's what I'm saying. I, I wouldn't necessarily be too dubious, but mm. we would definitely use imaging as a, as a, maybe a second line or a third line uh, informative study if we needed to. So when you say need to, that's like, so chances are it's plantar fasciitis. You know what to do to treat it. You implement the treatment, but maybe it's not happening. You're not getting the recovery that's expected. Then hang on, maybe now's the time to do some kind of yeah. imaging to see what's going on. Gotcha. Yeah, that, that's one of the things. Or if it was the history taking uh, just didn't match up, you know? So we're so saying that, that usually... Uh, usually so saying there's there has to be an overuse of some you know we have to have over overloaded the structure somehow for you for us to get that pain if it's consistent with the theory that we're going with so if you came in for example and you said no i haven't actually done anything differently and Mm -hmm. you know the there's there is no particular reason that i can put down to the pain i might be uh, actually provoking you know clinically provoking the the plantar fascia so you know palpating it clinically Mm -hmm saying, well, this should be sore, but it, you're saying it's not sore, but it is sore when you're doing this particular activity. You know, if it doesn't sort of match up mm-hmm. with what we're thinking, then I, I might go down that pathway to clarify the diagnosis, for example, gotcha. before we subject the patient mm-hmm. to a treatment plan. Uh, also, sometimes you do it for, you know, if we view the patient um, more holistically and, you know, they're particularly worried about it and yeah, yeah. They, want a, they want the peace of to mind of seeing what the diagnosis Yeah, so sometimes... We can use it that way, but not primarily if it's a clinical decision-making um, yep. at all. So as a patient, you shouldn't be too worried about um, whether they've done imaging or not. You should, be more in, you should be more concerned about whether the person you're seeing has done a thorough job of just understanding the background and what could have brought you to this mm. situation. As long as they seem to have like, shown enough interest in what you've done and how this could have come about. That's the more important yeah. thing than the imaging. Go Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it, it always it always has to make sense. I think is the yeah. main is the main reason, you know. And sometimes it's not always the case, and sometimes it's a very loosely mm-hmm. related thing, you know. Like for example, I just changed my shoes. I went from yep. this particular shoe to that particular shoe. The shoe might be stiffer than the other one. Mm-hmm. Might be a high top to a low top. Might be a certain activity. The job changed. Yep. The, you know, I took up took out more more hours at my job, mm-hmm. or I. Anything like that, you know, I started taking the train to work rather than drive, things like that. Yep. As long as the, it might be a loose association, but as long as we can make it make sense yep. enough for us to take that next step in the treatment plan, yep. I think that's the main thing that I'd be concerned with gotcha. rather than having an absolute image. As I said, you can have a number of things that will be pointed out by a, a scan that might not necessarily dictate the severity of the pain yep. that the patient is feeling. So we can we can jump at many um many red herrings in, in that sort of scenario yeah. or, or take the patient down a, a journey that they don't really need to go down because often we, we plantar fasciitis can be quite debilitating for some people mm-hmm. and it can cause them to then walk differently and adapt to their, uh, to their, their mechanics, the changes to their mechanics a bit differently and cause many compensatory patterns. And oh, then yeah. that will also reflect on their ultrasounds oh, or their yeah. scans. Gotcha. Uh, but but that's not where we should be primarily treating our, yep. our patient. You know, we should be saying, okay, well, I can see how this would happen as a result of mm. what we're talking about, but I still think the value is in treating what we're talking about rather gotcha. than yeah. looking at X, Y, and Z first. So just to summarize, like sometimes a scan might reveal a number of issues, but those issues are actually uh, like, I guess, a, a knock-on effect from the original plantar fasciitis. But when you just look at the image yes. by itself, you can't, you can't necessarily tell which one's caused by what, 
but it's not until you look at the history when you say, well, that actually, then you've, you can create, mm. I guess, like a timeline of how these things would happen. Absolutely. It's very interesting. Yeah. Yep. Now, I was going to say, speaking of treatment, how and sort of how it can be very debilitating for some people and they swim mm. differently and things like that. Mm. How do you actually treat it? And does that treatment, I guess, involve just basically not walking anymore? Uh, no, well, it shouldn't involve not walking anymore. Okay. I think that uh, that is one of the misconceptions that people say, well, I've got to stop doing this and I've, mm-hmm. I've got to be off my feet for this period or, mm-hmm. you know, it, it happened because I was training, so I've stopped training. And they've often mm-hmm. come in uh, to see somebody after a period of of self-treatment, let's say, where they've just withdrawn from activity and things like that. And mm-hmm. so, but if, if we go back to what we said earlier about uh, the the equation that we were talking about where we, we said overuse was, it was a load load increase and then the capacity of the tissue mm-hmm. uh, to, to handle that load. So I think we, we would usually have a, a step approach, which was initially about load management. So reducing that load and also about building capacity in the tissue itself to, to handle that load. And so that doesn't mean uh, load management when we're saying reducing the load or managing the load, that's reducing the physical stress on the tissue, mm-hmm. but we, we don't usually like to, to say that would mean that you're off your feet um, or you're not doing anything like that. But it could be things like um, uh, changing the intensity of the activity, changing the frequency of the duration of the, of the physical activity, uh, and, and then increasing capacity or building the capacity of the fascia to handle that load, which would be things like, uh, things like our stretching and our strengthening exercises, although that's not for everybody, but things like that to increase the capacity and introduce some walking. I'll give you an example for mm-hmm. if we took somebody who has been sedentary for quite a while, not actually on their feet for a long time, they've withdrawn from activity, they've come in to see someone after a year or so, and they've had a period where they've just not been walking. Now, the capacity of the tissue to handle activity will be very low. So usually that means as soon as they go out for a walk, they're not able to handle that, that load and they'll just withdraw again and we'll have that that sort of lessening of capacity again. In that case, we would focus the treatment on, yes, we want to treat the symptoms as well uh, and look at the mechanics of that, but we want to introduce some load capacity uh, increases there. So getting them to, to start walking, to start weight bearing and, and building that, that capacity of the tissue again. On, other, on the other hand, if we're not concentrating on building the capacity, we treat it with things like, uh, we look at it primarily through a mechanical lens. So that's the mechanics of the foot, the foot posture, their, you know, the the way their foot accepts forces and loads forces, things like the shoes they're wearing, mm-hmm. is quite important. The surfaces that they're training on, uh, the and like I said before, the amount that they're doing, the amount of their training and running and walking. Uh, but I I I tend to use uh, orthotics quite early in the piece uh, on strapping and orthotics, which is a mechanical therapy. Uh, it doesn't always necessarily have to be a prescribed or um, a customized orthotic, but it could be something to correct the forces going through the fascia and, and make their make their walking and training more efficient so that we're, we're still able to keep them walking. So going back to the point about not telling them to stop walking or running, still being uh, still enabling them to do what they want, want to do, but doing it in a, in a smarter way or in a, in a way that is allowing that fascia not to be overloaded. So the treatment, in, so if I've understood that correctly, <clears throat> the, main, the main aspect of the treatment is to correct the way the foot is used or the way the foot moves so that the forces go in the correct direction 
yes the that's from a mechanical perspective gotcha yep yep so yeah that, so i'll go ahead I was going to say, so that might involve things like, you know, heel raises, orthotics, change of footwear, things like that, that in some cases, even periods of immobilization, like through a, you know, like a little cam boot or something mm-hmm. like that, where, you know, depending on what, where we're seeing the yep. patient and depending on how severe it is and what their activity is, looking at it from a, a, a holistic point of view, mm-hmm. obviously, we need to take into account what they're doing, how they're doing it and, 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 and tailor our approach that way. But from a mechanical perspective, we definitely want to do things like that. We know that ankle range of motion has, you know, is, is correlated to plantar fasciitis. So we might incorporate things like heel, uh, calf stretching, um, heel raises, things like that. Okay. From, from that mechanical perspective. So when you talk about um, range of ankle movement, is that primarily mm. related to flexibility in the calf? Yes. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, primarily that. So that's that's related to it. and. And often um, changes in shoes, which will incorporate that for us as well. And changes, mm-hmm. we can often add things to shoes. So that's where I look at it from a mechanical perspective to as my initial therapy, or I bring that in quite early. Um, a lot of GPs, for example, will, will uh, or a lot of people will come in saying that GPs have offered them a cortisone injection, you know, mm-hmm. as, as the first line of treatment. Uh, I, I look at it the other way around. I try and correct things from a mechanical point of view, first of mm-hmm. all. So that, you know, because we, we take a few thousand steps a day, depending on what we're doing, mm-hmm. you know, between 5,000 and 15 or 20,000 steps a day, some people will take. And so if we can correct the, or, or make the foot move in a way that is limiting the forces through that fascia, the ground reaction mm-hmm. forces through that fascia uh, with the, every step, then we're going a long way to, to, to making sure we've got that active recovery. Gotcha. On the other hand, we're doing things that are, that's trying to heal the fascia or increase mm-hmm. the capacity of the fascia. Uh, I think that hand in hand uh, over, a, over a period of time uh, will, will elicit the response that we want to in most people. Yep. Now, that's, that's, for, that's for the treatment side of the causative factors. The, the other side of it is, like we said before, we've got to think about the patient's well-being in general and they're uh you know if we're looking at it from a biopsychosocial model you know we're looking at it in in terms of you know well-being depression anxieties things like that that can come with people not being able to do what they want to do and Mm -hmm. not being able to stand for long periods and things like that so we we do sometimes in terms of treatment often uh use therapies that would try and increase that healing capacity or trying to stimulate that healing capacity, things like shockwave therapy, um, things like, you know, sometimes even people, we, we would use injection therapy. So PRP injections rather than cortisone, um, which is the PRP is platelet rich plasma. So Mm -hmm. it's a platelet rich plasma injection. So that's, uh, that's trying to stimulate the healing capacity of the individual. It's not for everybody. We don't do that for, we don't offer that to everybody, but like I said, we've got to know what, what the how the how the patient is responding to our our initial treatment plan? How quickly they're responding? How how quickly their body is responding to that? Uh, and and whether it's important for them to, for example, if they were trying to get back to sport really quickly because it was their they were getting paid to do that, for example, and um, it was quite important for them to be back as quickly as they were as they as they could, or they were going on a holiday, and you know that was really going to impact their ability to you know, socialize with their friends or their families and that sort of thing. So we do have things in the clinic that we could use to speed that up, but everybody's a little bit different, but they all start with the, the main thing is trying to load manage the, the structure and trying to increase that capacity. So gotcha. Now you're talking about yeah. shoes there. Um, yep. 
how frequent, and this might be something you need to take a guess at, but how mm. frequent do you think the issue of plantar fasciitis would be if we just didn't wear shoes? If we didn't, I think that would depend on who it is. Right, I think okay. it would depend on, and and I say that from experience based on the, uh, the, the, the period of time when barefoot running exploded. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a lot of people that would, would you know, uh, would read about barefoot running or talk to their friends about barefoot running and, you know, join that, that, that sort of craze at the time. Mm-hmm. Now, some people would be perfectly fine doing that because their mechanics are okay and the activity that they chose to do on the surfaces that, that they chose to do it mm-hmm. meant that they weren't overloaded. It, I think it all comes back to that uh, being engineers, we, we can understand that it all comes back to the loading, you know? So it all comes back to how quickly you're loading and how efficient you are at dealing with that load. So some people, for example, with a uh, an inability to handle much force, mm-hmm. if if you've if you've gone, you know, if we're not wearing shoes and you've introduced a lot of running or a lot of activity, that's then introducing a lot of uh, force and then therefore stress through the structure. Mm-hmm. They would break down pretty quickly. They would see symptoms pretty quickly, and we and we actually did see that with not only plantar fasciitis that is that was very commonly seen, mm-hmm. you know. Traditionally, people say it's related to flat feet or, you know, mm-hmm. pronating feet. It's not necessarily always the case, but okay. it can be seen with a lot of people with flat feet, yes. Uh, but but in that sort of scenario, we would see a lot of people uh, break down. Right. And we had so, a lot of people yeah. with stress fractures at that time, fasciitis. So it's not just simply it's all the fault of shoes. It's No. It's the, no. the nature of, I guess, um, the way the individual's body works. And yes. also yeah. the surface of what they're doing in the surfaces that they're doing it on. So there's a few contributing mm. factors. There. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a multifactorial thing yeah. and it's a very complex, it's a very complex thing, which will take it. I mean, it, it, it also, I did some research about 10 years ago into, it was a qualitative research into how overuse injuries affected people and looking at the footwear side of things and the, mm-hmm. you know, whether a cushion shoe was better or not, or a, a stable shoe was better or not. But we I found even at the time looking at the literature, even things like sleep would, you know, sleep and diet and stress levels would affect a, a person's ability to heal and right. a person's ability to handle those forces and what injuries they get. So it's a very, it's a, it's a, I guess that's a big way of saying that it's a, it's a very multifactorial yeah. condition. Um, not only plantar fasciitis, many conditions are the, yeah, are the yeah. same sort of thing. Uh, where So it'd be very hard to say, okay, well, it, it's just the cause of it this particular factor is the cause of your pain. And that's why I'm saying we need to view the patient in that lens where we say, okay, well, this is the sort of approach that I would take in general, but through my, you know, heuristics and clinical decision, decision-making and experience of the practitioner, you'd be able to say, well, I think I need to move this part earlier, or I need to think I need to put this part later and, and just see what's going to work best for that patient. Gotcha. Understood. Yeah. Okay. That's good yeah. to know. Because yeah. I guess there are probably some people out there looking for that silver bullet solution which might be mm. enough if, if I just don't wear bad shoes or if I just don't do this one thing, but there's so many things that can contribute to it that it's, yes. it's something that anybody could end up getting at some stage and you're probably going to have to go through the treatment yeah. process. Yeah. And, and, and absolutely shoes, shoes, uh, that's not to downplay the role of shoes no, understood. Um, in, in the uh, treatment. It, it is, it is important. And, and often a change of shoes is important, you know? So yeah, okay. for example, going from one end of the spectrum, you know, a very cushioned shoe to a very rigid or stable shoe, yeah. Uh, and and doing the same level of activity that will that will be yep. a stimulus for um, for pain as well. So gotcha. I think yeah, looking at, it's got to be looked at in terms of the the uh, the patient's 
in that case, you know, in very simplistic terms, people are looking at their foot type and saying, well, if I was wearing the wrong shoe for the wrong activity, mm. then that would be a bad thing. You know, running in a business shoe, for example, or a dressy shoe yep. would be an obvious one. You know, it's, yep. uh, you know, or people walking an hour to work in their dress shoes yep. on, on, on concrete or um, if I, if I look at an example that I've seen recently where parking inspectors, you know, they're wearing business shoes, but their job primarily is walking yep. in car parks on hard floors. And, uh, and so those, those sorts of things where that, that's an obvious one. I would, mm-hmm. the shoe would be the first thing I'd be looking at in that sort of right. scenario. Whereas somebody who's wearing uh, joggers and, and running or, or Barry playing tennis or something like that mm-hmm. in his tennis shoes, the shoe might not be the first thing I'd be looking at in, yeah, in Barry's scenario. Yep. Okay. So the yeah. treatment is kind of understanding the situation you're in and through some intel- informed decision-making, trying mm. corrections that should eliminate what's inducing the plantar fasciitis in the first place. Absolutely. And also some yeah. kind of exercise to make the body more robust against plantar fasciitis. Yeah. And that's, that's often stretching. That's yeah. often calf stretching and plantar fascial stretching and gotcha. things like that. Yeah. I was going to yeah. say, there's no harm in getting a bit of flexibility in your calves regardless. So if anybody had no, worried about no. just some calf stretching is probably a good thing to do regardless. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yep. How long does it typically like, take to um, get over plantar fasciitis? Uh, that, that's a, that's a tough one as well to, right. to sort of uh, say for everybody, but typically I would say, uh, unless it's been there for years or, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's become a quite chronic condition. Sometimes if it's chronic, chronic, it can take a little bit longer to sort of uh, to make the gains that we expect. But in most cases, I work to about a six to 12 week window gotcha. uh, when I, when I should start seeing results. And, mm-hmm. and when I say six to 12 weeks, I don't mean that at six weeks, it sort of snaps off mm-hmm. and you know, the, the pain's gone. It, it's usually it, it's usually a, a downward trend. So we're we're improving, and I guess that's another important thing. How we know that it, it's going well yep. um, is making sure that the person can do more, mm-hmm. or do more more often, or do more with less pain. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean that the pain's gone because the, the, they're still walking on it every day. It's it's interesting with the fascia and things like the uh, the underside of the foot if you're still loading the structure because you are doing, like we said, 6,000, 20,000 steps a day, if you're still loading that tissue, you're still going to expect that it still has to be under, under some sort of stress. Right. Mm-hmm. So what we, we, what we're not doing is uh, like hurting our shoulder and putting it in a sling and saying, well, that's not moving for six weeks. Mm-hmm. So we, we still want the person to walk. And so that's why we we use it as a, uh, we use the six to 12 week as a guide. And I like to sort of, make sure that we're seeing if we take a six week block, for example, and split it into to three, two week blocks, I like to make sure that, you know, the each subsequent two week block is better than the one before in, in a yep. net, net effect. But gotcha. um, yeah. So you're yeah, say about, that me- that's six to 12 weeks. Gotcha. And so, but also though, for anybody out there who's going through treatment or is treating somebody mm. else, I mean, I wouldn't say instantly, but with, like you said, within two weeks or so, there should be some evidence that things are getting better. Yes. Right. Yeah. So you should. And, not, and that. Good. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was, I was going to say, and that evidence doesn't necessarily have to be pain. Right. Yeah. So pain is not always representative of oh, okay. the, uh, the pain isn't representative of the state of the tissue, for example. So sure. the, the, as I was saying earlier, the, the way we look at it is if you're in the same amount of pain, but you're able to do more, oh, yeah. that's, that's a, that's a bit of a win. Yep. You know, that's a good, that's an improvement. Gotcha. Uh, it, it, because you could 
what I always uh, tell my patients is that I don't like them coming in and saying, oh, yeah, it might feel better, but I've actually stopped doing what I want to be doing, you know. So right. I, I stopped in Barry's example for, you know, Barry's case, for example, I wouldn't want him coming back and saying, yeah, the pain's gone, but I now can't, I don't play tennis anymore. Yeah, you know? okay. that's, that's a sort of a false positive there. Yeah. If, he, uh, if he was able to play tennis and the pain was still there, but it was less intense, that would be mm-hmm. great. If it was less frequent, that would be great. You know, so in that case, we're looking at the at the overall. Understood. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the there should be some. Right. Yeah, there should be some measure of improvement. Yes. Yeah. I, I look at more in terms of function yeah, rather yeah. than pain. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So so you can do more. You can do it for longer. It stays mm-hmm. better for longer. It's yeah. not a sore in the morning, for example. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. And then the next sort of week or the two week or whatever metric you're looking at, mm-hmm. um, it's a bit better again, and then it's a bit better again. That way, you know. Uh, you know two things from that. You know that the intervention that you've put in place or the interventions that you've put in place are working. Mm-hmm. And you also know the rate that your body is healing at naturally. So mm-hmm. if you said, for example, that it is getting better, but it's getting better really slowly, mm-hmm. that's when we look at, uh, if we return earlier to, to the uh, talk, what we were talking about earlier with the shockwave, for example, mm-hmm. and the POP, we can say, yeah, it is getting better with our mechanical interventions, but it's not actually doing what we wanted to do is, you know, I'm not comfortable with the rate that we're going at. So mm-hmm. let's try and kickstart that process with a, with an external stimulus. Uh, or you can say, yeah, it is getting better. It is getting better at a rate that I'm comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm being the patient here, not, not the mm-hmm. clinician, I guess yep. it's, it's what the patient's comfortable with. Uh, and then that way you don't need any other interventions. You know, the intervention you're making is work. The opposite of that is also true. If you, you you've put in an intervention and within a few weeks, it's not actually doing anything. Mm-hmm. It's very unlikely that if you left it for another period of three weeks or four weeks, all of a sudden it is going to do something, you know? It's, right. So we should always be measuring. So you have some metric to measure against mm-hmm. and say that I'm putting in this intervention. I've changed my shoes, for example, but within a few weeks, it's made no difference. Yeah. So I should be looking at something else or going to see somebody or, or whatever the case is. And primarily I look at, uh, like I said, function rather than just pain. Yep. So if I can do more, if I can do more for longer, if I can, if I can stay, you know, have more, more, more good days than bad days, mm-hmm. that would be great. And if then I look at a couple of periods in a row and I can compare those back, I'll be able to say that, you know, this period is better than that period. That period is better than that period. Therefore, I know that, you know, there is a downward sort of a, a trend to my pain. So that's good. Brilliant. Thank you for that, Sam. I think that was a pretty good no uh, rundown. Um, now, also, um, I should sort of ask you, you do actually have your own online business selling a number of foot-related products. Is that correct? I do, yes, yes, yeah. So, so a bit in, about in what you have of... and how people can find it. Ah, beautiful. Uh, in, in terms of... Uh, I'm involved with two of the uh, the online sort of sites. Uh, one is primarily involved with uh, orthotics and insoles and um, things like that, braces, splints, orthotics. So mm-hmm. that's um, that's at myorthotics.com.au. You can find that there. And that would have a, a range of uh, insoles that people can, you know, refer to and put in their shoes. That's comes down to that mechanical sort of treatment that we were mm-hmm. talking about where we don't quite need to go to a custom level orthotic and spend a lot of money uh, to start with for, for everybody. Uh, we can often get away with uh, using some other uh, orthotic intervention to to be able to modulate those forces, and and so that they they're primarily are ready to go, ready made insoles that people can try there. Uh, and then the other one is uh, 
which is probably a bit more relevant to, to the plantar fasciitis uh, talk itself, which would be um, painpacks.com.au. Painpacks is basically, uh, it's a collection of uh, products that you would need to deal with, um, with certain injuries or certain ailments. So in terms of plantar fasciitis, there would be a plantar fasciitis box and that box will have things that you need, like a, like an ice pack, for example, some strapping tape. You would have uh, things that we typically use in clinic for uh, treating these conditions, and it would come with you know instructions and a program to sort of, um, if people weren't looking to go and uh, buy everything themselves and looking up things on the internet themselves or going to see someone, they were looking to... to uh, inform themselves of how to fix the, the problem or try initially to fix the problem, um, this, would, this would give them uh, everything they needed uh, to try and do that in a program to follow along with. Uh, and, and importantly, something to measure as well. So something oh, yeah. to measure with. Yeah, Excellent. as I was saying before, we, we need to make sure that they are going the right way. And if they're mm. not, then, you know, refer on and um, being able to then go and see somebody who could maybe find a, a missing piece of the puzzle that, that might yep. just be stopping their body healing. Gotcha. So that was yeah. uh, was a painpacks.com.au and myorthotics.com.au. Yes. Excellent. That's it. Thanks, yeah. for that, Sam. Appreciate it. No worries.